Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There are certain stories in this world that just don't seem to add up. They happen all the time, often they can be unimportant or mundane, but sometimes they revolve around the death of a person. Today we're checking out some very strange deaths that supposedly happened by drowning, but there's still a lot of unanswered questions around these cases. I'm Andrew, and welcome to this week's Patreon-only Patrons episode. Hope you enjoy this one. Here are five drownings that are shrouded in mystery. Number five, the mysterious drowning at Roper's Motel. The summer of 1966 was like any other in Pico's, Texas, until an incident at the Roper's Motel changed everything. On July 5th, a young woman's lifeless body was found floating in the motel's swimming pool. 
and the preceding hours painted a picture that will baffle investigators for decades. This young woman, now known to the world only as Pico's Jane Doe, had checked into the establishment accompanied by a man. Together, they signed in under the pseudonyms Mr. and Mrs. Russell Batoon. As quickly as they had come in, the man vanished just hours after the grim discovery. He left the motel and his companion's fate behind him. As a result, for over half a century, the identity of Pico's Jane Doe was shrouded in mystery. A resting place bore the somber title, Unknown Girl Drowned July 5th, 1966. Local police, though, particularly Chief Lisa Tarango, remained steadfast in their commitment to unveil the truth. The grave became a poignant reminder of their dedication. Officials regularly visited leaving behind flowers as a symbol of hope. And finally, hope did come in 2020, 54 years after the fact, and marked a year for answers in this decades-old case. The Pico's PD, along with the assistance of NAMAS, began the scientific journey to unravel the true identity of their Jane Doe. With a breakthrough on the horizon, Othram, a forensic laboratory extended its expertise offering advanced DNA analysis. Through a combination of crowdfunding and department funds, the police ensured that the woman's skeletal remains underwent the most advanced forensic-grade genome sequencing. At the same time, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children stepped in and painted a possible face to the remains. Their artistic reconstruction of Jane Doe provided investigators and the public with a glimpse of the lost soul. It was not long before this investigative concoction bore fruit. Teaming up with innovative forensic, genealogical experts meticulously pieced together family trees, eventually leading to one promising candidate. Her name was Jolaine Hemi. The discovery was a bittersweet revelation, 17-year-old Jolaine Hemi was once a waitress at a drive-in diner in Kansas City, Kansas. But in 1966, she vanished into thin air, leaving behind a paycheck and a family plagued with despair. Although Jolaine's disappearance remained a painful enigma, family whispers hinted at a mysterious man who had shown undue interest in her just before she went missing. The Pico's police department has rekindled their investigation now, hoping to connect the lingering dots. The search for Joe Lane's enigmatic companion continues, and with it, the quest for justice. Number four, the mysterious disappearance and death of Henry McCabe. In the quiet town of Moundsview, Minnesota, A haunting tale of mysterious disappearances, inexplicable phone recordings, and cryptic clues emerged, quickly becoming one of the state's most puzzling mysteries. At the center of this enigma was a man named Henry McCabe. It was September 6, 2015, when 31-year-old father of two, Henry, decided to enjoy a night out clubbing with his friends. His good buddy, William Kennedy, was with him all day, 
The duo spent the evening partying. As the night wore on, William drove Henry to a gas station near his house, marking the last known location of McCabe. Then, just a few hours into the early morning, at precisely 2.28 a.m., McCabe's wife, Corrine, received an eerie voicemail. She was away in California at the time and discovered the unsettling voicemail the following morning on September 7th. As she played it, chilling, animalistic growls resonated from the recording, interspersed with Henry's discernible cries and screams of agony. Disturbingly, amidst all the sounds, Henry's voice desperately exclaimed, I've been shot. And then, after a few seconds of ominous silence, a different voice, cold and unfamiliar, whispered, Stop it. Deeply alarmed, Corrine immediately contacted Henry's brother, Tim Borber. Disturbed what he had heard, he then reported it to the Moundsview police. Authorities initiated a rigorous investigation. As they delved deeper, baffling inconsistencies began to emerge. William Kennedy, who had initially claimed he dropped Henry at the Super America gas station, later contradicted himself by saying he had left his friend at the Holiday gas station. This minor discrepancy then opened up a rabbit hole of suspicions. Kennedy later turned in Henry's wallet and keys to the police, explaining he had taken them away from a cave to prevent him from driving under the influence. This seemingly noble act raised even more questions, as it was unusual to separate a person from their essentials even under the pretense of safety. Keys, yeah, maybe you take those away, but the wallet? Further digging revealed that some of Henry's associates were using encrypted cell phone numbers to communicate with one another. Their accounts of the night's events contained glaring inconsistencies too, casting doubt over their testimonies. Were they hiding something, and if so, what? However, The enigmatic voicemail remained the focal point of the investigation. Some early listeners suggested the voice whispering stop it sounded like a white man, different from Henry's distinct voice. After a relentless three-month search, a grim discovery then was made. On November 2nd of 2015, a body was found in nearby Rush Lake in New Brighton. And tragically, it was confirmed to be Henry McCabe. The autopsy report posited that McCabe had drowned. However, due to the advanced decomposition, it was challenging to ascertain if there were any other injuries. So, how did a man who cried out about being shot end up drowning? And, 
Who was the other voice on the voicemail? As the years have passed, Henry's mysterious case remains unsolved. The cryptic voicemail, the inconsistency in friends' statements, and the perplexing circumstances surrounding his death have left far more questions than answers. Some suspect foul play, others believe it might have been a tragic accident. Yet all who delve into the story are left with a haunting echo of that chilling voicemail, a grim reminder of the unsolved mystery of Henry McCabe's final night. Number 3. The Mysterious Death of Tracy Cusick It's not every day that biomechanics and toilets converge in a murder trial. In the curious case of Tracy Cusick, the line between accidental drowning and foul play became increasingly blurred. Tracy's lifeless body was found in her Ottawa home in January of 2006, her face submerged in the water of a toilet bowl. A disconcerting scenario, especially given the observations of Dr. Wilson Hayes, an expert in biomechanics. Utilizing a computer model based on Tracy's physical attributes and the exact model of her toilet, Hayes deduced that the act of submerging oneself voluntarily in a toilet would be a challenging feat to achieve. One would have to remain conscious to maintain such an awkward position. Otherwise, they would simply fall back and out of the toilet. As Kenneth Cusick stood trial for his wife's murder, the stakes were high. The prosecution suggested that Kenneth, with force, held Tracy's head underwater, theory that Hayes found plausible. Yet, the defense countered with the possibility of an alcohol and drug-related overdose. Even as the toxicology report remained undisclosed, Hayes remained steadfast in his opinion, clearly dismissing the idea of an accidental drowning. Over the timeline of this mysterious case presented a conundrum. See, more than a decade had elapsed from Tracy's death to Hayes' involvement in Kenneth's subsequent charge for first-degree murder. He wasn't put on trial until 11 years after his wife's death, and so why such a delay? Well, Kenneth's initial reactions with the police further muddied the waters. He confirmed rumors of marital problems, but vehemently denied any wrongdoing when confronted about allegations of murder. Even the findings of Sergeant Patrick Hardy, who pursued the case passionately, were a mixed bag. On one hand, Tracy's funeral revealed suspicious marks on her body and Kenneth's seemingly cold demeanor after her death raised questions. Yet, evidence pointed to Tracy's substance abuse, with no apparent financial motive for Kenneth to commit the murder. Enter Julius Belanco, a consulting engineer with an unexpected specialization in toilets. His testimony was concise and resolute. An adult cannot accidentally drown in a toilet. His research corroborated this claim, showing that while tragic incidents with small children have occurred, no adult drownings have ever been reported. In 2019, the trial continued, and the defense challenged Blanco's assertions. Is it unlikely an adult would drown in a toilet? Yes, but is it impossible? Absolutely not. Kenneth was acquitted of all charges, 
is now looking to file a lawsuit against individually named police and prosecutors who he says were trying to frame him for the murder from the jump. That will happen sometime later this year or early in 2024. Number two, the disappearance of the Padanella. The vast expanse of the great Australian bite is a sailor's dream. On the night of October 26, 1988, under the luminescence of a full moon, the Padanella, a 20-meter luxury schooner, was harnessing the natural swells to journey from Fremantle in the west to the White Sunday region on the other side of the continent in the east. On board were two young adventurers, Michael Calvin and John Blissett, both in their early 20s. They were just two among a few of the passengers, but their vibrant energy and zest for life were infectious. Michael, often documenting their journey, penned a heartfelt letter to his twin sister, Sue, narrating everything that they were doing. He wrote about the yacht's path and their upcoming stop at Port Lincoln, and it was there he mailed out this intimate message. In the letter, there was a hint to some light-hearted mischief as he added a postscript about a message in a bottle they had set adrift in the ocean, offering a free holiday on board the Padanella for anyone that found it. This playful act was a testament to the camaraderie and jubilation the crew shared. Over this letter would prove to be the last who would ever receive from her twin. A few weeks later, the Padanella and everyone on board vanished without a trace somewhere near Sydney. Michael, John, and a Perth couple, Ken and Noreen Jones, were lost to the depths of the ocean. And theories abound, but the boat's fate remained a haunting enigma. The story might have faded into history as another maritime mystery, but a strange discovery on New Year's Eve provided an unexpected twist. Cheryl Wademan and her family stumbled upon a half-buried rum bottle on a remote beach near Eucla. Within it was the very message that Michael mentioned in his letter, penned by John Blissett. The discovery ruled out certain speculations about the Padanella's fate. Over the years, the rumor mill churned out tales of international sightings and stories that John and Michael might have been a part of a conspiracy to hijack the boat. The note, however, painted a different picture, one of two young men embarking on a voyage of adventure and hope. A 1992 inquest into the disappearance concluded without any definitive answers, but the prevailing theory is that a freighter might have accidentally struck the Padanella, causing it to sink. With no wreckage found, this theory, like the others, remains speculative. For John Blissett's mother, Marge, the discovery of the message brought a little bit of solace. There's a piece of tangible evidence confirming her belief about her son's intentions. To her, John and Michael were just two free spirits sailing into the horizon, chasing dreams and adventure. Number one. Disappearance of Ben McDaniel. On a quiet April morning in 2010, Ben McDaniel, 
a 30-year-old from Tennessee was trying to pick up the broken pieces of his life. Facing the trauma of a failed marriage, a plummeting business that left him $50,000 in debt, the crushing grief from the sudden death of his 22-year-old brother Paul, Ben was in desperate need of solace. He found it beneath the waves and the silence and serenity of scuba diving. Relocating to Florida, he started living at his parents' beachfront property. Every day, Ben would find himself wrapped in the embrace of the sea with his trusty chocolate Labrador by his side. With each dive, his worries seemed to dissolve and slowly, Ben began reclaiming his life. By mid-August, he was a transformed man. He confided in his parents and girlfriend about his budding plans, getting a job as a diving instructor, expanding his horizons with cave diving certifications, and a heartfelt letter left behind as testament to his gratitude and promise of better days. His newfound enthusiasm, however, led him to a notorious diving spot near Ponce de Leon, Florida, Vortex Spring. There, the confident, some might say overconfident diver became a familiar face. He often took to the waters alone, diving deeper each time, pushing his boundaries and sometimes unnerving fellow divers with his audaciousness. August 18th would be no different. As dusk approached, Ben was seen preparing for a night dive. He descended until he reached a chilling warning sign featuring the Grim Reaper, signaling the danger ahead. But for Ben, it was just another challenge to overcome. Beyond that sign was a locked gate, a gate only accessible to the most experienced divers. With a bit of persistence and assistance from Eduardo Turan, another diver, Ben ventured further into the cave's abyss. What happened after that remains a mystery. For two days passed, and Ben's truck, still parked at the dive site, began raising concerns. Inside it, they found his belongings, the diving log detailing his aspirations, his untouched wallet, and a cell phone with messages waiting for his return. Rescue teams scoured every inch of the cave system, diving into the treacherous terrain, navigating through narrow passageways and risking their own lives in hopes of finding Ben. But apart from two air tanks, eerily left at the entrance, there was just no sign of him. International cave diving expert Ed Sorensen took up the challenge, pushing himself beyond known diving limits. Yet, he too returned empty-handed, with no trace of any disturbances deep inside the cave. As the days turned into weeks, wild theories took flight. Was Ben's disappearance a case of an escape from the burden of his life? Had his body been secretly removed to avert legal complications? Or did the mysteries of the Vortex Spring claim yet another victim? The gate, once a mere restriction, now stands as a silent sentinel, a poignant reminder of Ben and others who sought the thrill of the unknown. As the years roll by, the waters of Vortex Spring keep their secrets well guarded, with a haunting question echoing still. What truly happened to Ben McDaniel? So there were five drownings that are shrouded in mystery. 
Really appreciate you guys taking the time to check us out here on Patreon. So from everyone here at the Scary Mysteries team, thank you guys very much. We hope you enjoy the mysteries we serve up. We love the work we do and couldn't do it without you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'll see you soon.